Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this Choir Nerd podcast. I'm thrilled to have my man Tim Scott Whiteley here um, to talk about his life as a professional singer, uh, singing with the Talis Scholars. And uh, yeah, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on here. Thank you so much, mate. It's great to be here. Um, and uh, I'm glad we managed to make it uh, work out, uh, like in the same time zone even so that's yeah. pretty neat so you're currently on tour that is right Tell us yeah about that yeah all right so uh this is our second united states tour of the year we have two with the talis scholars one uh in so march april time and one uh, end of november beginning of december and uh, so this is uh, our second one for this year we have had five shows already and we've got two to go and uh, we flew from, uh, where did we travel from yesterday? Oh, I know. Um, we were in Spartanburg, South Carolina yesterday. And uh, we drove up to Charlotte and then flew via Atlanta to San Francisco. And we've got a show tonight in Berkeley. So, yeah, that was quite a long travel day yesterday. Great. Well, I want to get into you, uh, your life touring with Talis Scholars, but uh, why don't you give us a little quick intro about you, uh, about how you got into singing and uh, what your musical upbringing was like? All righty. Well, I mean, I think for an Englishman, my trajectory was pretty um, common. Um, so I was a chorister. I was a choir boy when I was uh, a kid. So I started off when I was like uh, seven, eight um, in the choir of York Minster in the northeast of England. Um, I kind of had a bit of an in there because my dad was the organist. Um, so uh, but he wasn't on the audition panel. He wasn't there, you know, so. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I got in. I got into that choir and, uh, you know, that was the best start in uh, choral life that you can be given, you know, to be have the ability to um, sing every day the opportunity to sing every day uh reading new music every day um and you know it's just discipline training um and uh although i don't what do i mean by that discipline training it taught us discipline um and you know I th and professionalism actually at an extremely young age which um is invaluable you know and uh yeah so that's where i started out i did that um what kind uh, th this was York Minster. Okay. This was York Minster, so the Cathedral of, of York in the northeast of England. That's where I was, and it had a school attached to it, the York Minster Choir School, um, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. Um, they had to let that go um, around the time of the pandemic. So the choir boys now all go to another school in York. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of an end of an era. Um, but yeah, then after that, uh, I went to uh, secondary school where I, I mean, you know, you know, I sang in the chapel choir. I, I didn't really um, do much. Um, but you know, you know full well where I went to school, right? Uh, no. I, where? Do you, you don't remember this? I'm, oh, maybe I didn't mention it to you. Um, well, you and I have something in common. My high school was Oakham. Oh my God! Really? <laughs> yeah. That was my high school. That was my secondary school. Yeah, that's where so I went. So did you study, and, did you work with, was David Woodcock there at the time? He was my pastoral tutor and my director of music. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. I had no idea. 
Yeah, um, and his uh, his now wife um, was my French teacher, and in fact, when Peter Phillips had his seventieth birthday, um, which was uh, on a boat on the Thames in London, um, about uh, well a couple months back now, um, uh, David was there with his wife, and uh, so I, I I mean I've seen David on and off um, ever since I've left, um, but I haven't seen um, uh, my former French teacher, so that was. That was kind of cool. That was mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I... j- just real quick for those that don't know, uh, Oakham is this uh, small, can I say, medieval town or, or very old town? Yeah, uh, it's an old town. That's right. Yeah, in England, where uh, uh, I was first introduced to the Talis scholars uh, through their summer course. Anyway, please continue. That is, that, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think I was at the first meeting of David Woodcock and Peter Phillips. Um, that was so weird. That was that was. I mean, to look back on it now, that 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 is really weird, given given what I now do. Um, but uh, there there was a kid in the year above me um, at Oakham called Dan Hyde, um, who is now the director of music at King's College, Cambridge, mm-hmm. and he ran a small chamber choir at Oakham. Um, and David took this small chamber choir to Stamford, which is a town ne- next to Oakham. Um, and Peter Phillips gave us a masterclass. And uh, yeah, that's actually the first time I met Peter Phillips. I mean, I don't what really know. Roughly. This will have been 1998, 99, maybe? 98? Okay. Um, possibly 97. Yeah, maybe 97, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I remember only a little bit of that. Um, I'm sure um, Peter doesn't remember it at all. <laughs> I've no idea, you know. Um, oh, no, he does. No, I'm sure he does. But um, uh, yeah, so that that was weird. Um, but then, yeah, so I finished my studies there. And I was fortunate enough to get a place, uh, a choral scholarship at uh, Christchurch in Oxford. Um, but not studying music, uh, studying uh, German and linguistics. Were you so, always a bass, baritone bass? Always, uh, yeah. Hey, that's a good question. Right. Yeah, that is a good question. So um, I remember this distinctly, actually, like at the age of 13. So I was uh, what they called the head chorister in my last year at York, um, and um, which meant I got some of the solo action, which was great. You know, I, I, had, I, I had a great time in my last year but as often happens you know in the last year um my voice broke so it was like two weeks before easter um 1994 i think and uh uh and i just went in to the rehearsal and i was like okay not feeling so good today uh and the director philip moore he took me aside after the rehearsal and we did a few scales and what have you and he said i think it's i think it's time you know um and you know you might imagine that i might have been a bit bummed out by that um i was absolutely thrilled you know i thought you know fantastic i've done this for a long time but now in the summer term that's coming up um i'm gonna get to hang around with my friends and play cricket after school and not have to go and sing you know <laughs> i was i was i was pretty thrilled mm-hmm. about that but my brother was in the choir and my mom obviously my father was playing the organ and um so my mom and i my mom took me uh into uh, the cathedral for easter sunday so two weeks before my voice had broken. And the um, the processional hymn was played over, you know, and and I just thought to myself, okay, well, um, apparently I'm not a treble anymore, so so what do I do, you know? So I just 
you know, just opened my mouth and, and saw what came out. And it was this kind of, <laughs> kind of cookie monster kind of kind of thing cookie monster. Um, yeah so uh so that was uh yeah that was pretty weird um but yeah you know i didn't have one of these gradual sort of decline from treble through alto into tenor or whatever um it just it just when it dropped it dropped you know and that was it um, i hear that's uh, mostly the case for lower voices do you, do yeah. you hear that too yeah i do hear that absolutely yeah completely um i mean i i guess i think i was yeah i think as is often the case um i was more baritonal um at the start but um it started dropping fairly quickly um up till when i was about 18 i reckon but yeah so that's uh that's my history man i mean i did uh yeah i did four years at, at christchurch and um and then i moved to austria great um and i uh and i i set up my own uh well, I co-founded rather um, a group for early music there with no aspirations of it going pro or anything like that. You know, I just found these these younger guys there, these two countertenors who were really enthusiastic for the repertoire, um, but weren't that au fait with it, weren't that, you know, well versed in it. And, uh, you know, when I was 18, um, 17, 18, I was inhaling a lot of like um, grunge and rock music um, and a hell of a lot of Renaissance polyphony. Um, I remember just going on whatever it was at the time. I mean, was it eBay? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and just buying, buying all of these because I was not, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't have that many, that much money, you know, and, and just finding these secondhand talent scholars, sorry, Peter, uh, secondhand talent scholars records <laughs> um, and, and buying them up, you know, and, and um, yeah, and that was, so that was, that was actually, you know, where where I came 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 to early music. Early music came through a, ver a variety of different um, avenues, but but one of them was certainly um, uh, buying all of those records um, so, in quite a short amount of time. I can imagine that you and more of the Talus scholars these days kind of grew up listening to Talus scholars. They've been around so long. Uh, I actually had a similar experience, I guess, first through Oakham and eventually listening to more of their stuff. Uh, yeah, is that that must be a trip? Oh, I would imagine for Peter, <laughs> particularly. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it, it it's um, he's a very happy man. You know, um, as you as as you know, I mean, you know him. <clears throat> he has uh, created a product and um, has kept it consistent. You know. Um, and that is so key um, in this business um, to keep that consistency. Um, I work for several other groups. Um, I have done along the way where you know there's been a bad show or you know it hasn't quite gone right, and you know, um, and you know Peter wouldn't put up with that, you know, and I don't put up with that actually, you know. I mean, it, it's no one wants to have a bad gig, you know. Um, but uh, no, with Talis scholars, it's very rare that, that there's ever anything um, really out, you know. Um, so I think. For him, to come back to your question, for him, it's absolutely fantastic that he's now got singers who listen to Telescopes growing up, so they know full well what that sound what it's is. supposed to sound like. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's, he's understandably pleased about that, um, and it it keeps that consistency, you know, um, and it means that, yeah. I mean, uh, the funny thing is, is that there's there's no well, I, 
I know this is your interview, but I'm going to ask you a question. Please. Um, what do you think it is that um, you need to be to sing in the Talis Scholars? What, what, what kind of voice do you need? <laughs> uh, I imagine there are, there's like a list of priorities uh, that sure. I think that I also scout for when I'm trying to staff a bird ensemble. Um, you gotta have a good voice. Uh, you gotta be able to read, um, and you gotta be able to sing in tune. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like those three are pretty big for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, they're the three. I mean, I mean sound boring that... and basic, but it's no, not at crucial. all. Not at all. No, they are absolutely crucial. You know, and I would add to that with Talis scholars. Um, you know, you 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 kind of uh, so those are the three basic. I, I completely concur with that. Um, but with Talis scholars, there is a specific kind of voice um, that Peter um, prefers, you know. Um, and we hear this word used quite a lot. Um, and that word is blade. Mm. Uh, a blade in the voice. Um, and I guess what that means, you know, when I was when I was growing up and, and, and having having lessons in my late teens and early 20s, one of my teachers, um, one of the first things I remember him saying is that, look, there's, uh, there's a cordial voice and there's there's everything else around it. Um, and he could hear that the core of my voice was pretty strong, you know, and I think that is um, what Talascola's sound is all about. It's about this strength of core to the voice. Um, it's about, and coming, and then moving on to the tuning element, um, it's minutiae of tuning in terms of like, um, well, for me personally, uh, upper parcels, um, being able to um, make the sound spin, if, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's that, I, 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 would, I would add that for the Talis scholars, you know, there is a specific kind of, um, specific kind of voice, you know, there's um, the people have come in and, and gone and not done that much for the group and gone off and had absolutely fabulous solo careers, you know, mm -hmm. um, and um, I am 100% not in that category. Um, I have done solo work. Um, I enjoy um, doing solo work, but my, um, but no, my, my main interest is in the ensemble. So ensemble. just if we can linger a little bit on the Talis scholar sound, this is something I've, I've thought about for a while. You know, I have, I, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but I've been listening to Talis scholars uh, for a while and their older recordings with uh, like Tessa uh, mm -hmm. and, and Deborah on top. Uh, when I listen to those sopranos, let's just take them for example, that mm -hmm. sounds different than the sopranos I hear these days. Um, I might say the same thing for the bassist, sort of. It sounded like mm -hmm. he played it a little bit bigger back then. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, what you if you've noticed those things too, and and uh, what your kind of take on the the sound over the years has been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, you and I, we both grew up with with Tessa, Debbie, Sally, uh, Jan uh, at the top, you know um and um ruth holton as well and 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 that i mean what i would say is that when i first sang with the group um 
it was really forthright. Mm. I mean, the sound was really forthright. It was, um, you know, it, it was great, you know, because I'd worked in other ensembles where, you know, I felt that the way I was, I, I was singing was was compromising my voice somehow. It, you know, I was being put into a little box, you know. Um, but all of a sudden, I stepped into this this different arena of sound, you know, and it was, yeah, that was quite something. Um, and I think that's what Peter and Steve Smith managed to capture was this the, the forthright nature of the singing, you know. Mm. Um, now, I would say still these days, it, it is forthright, but it's not quite as, I don't know. I agree. I don't know how to describe it. Not I feel quite like I know so, where you're going, but I agree. But yes, keep, kind of, please kind of continue. Not, not, not quite, not quite as brazen, maybe. Yeah. Um, as as it was back then, um, and I think that's a combination of things. You know, I think that is um, generation shifting, and what I mean by that is that, um, and again, this kind of feeds neatly into what another thing that we were going to talk about. I think. Um, I reckon it, it, it is simply to do with the fact that you have um, a lot more ensemble singing going on these days. You have a lot of people coming from different backgrounds. Um, a huge development in the UK, um, and thank goodness, a huge development has been uh, the introduction of girls into the uh, into the um, cathedral choirs in the UK. Um, so they are um, finally uh, being given the, the, the opportunity uh, to to develop their singing from a very young age in a professional environment, singing every day in a liturgical context. Um, so you know that, and that that was starting to happen when I, you know, in the in the early nineties, I guess. Um, but it's re it really came to fruition in the sort of mid to late nineties in the UK. Um, and so that coupled with the sort of the springing up of a lot of other groups that you know wanted to either do early music or choral music generally there were different sounds going on you know peter always talks about this sound that he he heard when when he heard um the clerks of oxenford under david walston and he, he just had that sound in his head and he wanted to recreate it and that's what he does every time he stands on stage with the telescopers um and i think that sound is still there the one that he's thinking about otherwise you know he'd be telling us to do something different um but maybe I don't know, maybe it was more, and I, I'm perfectly happy to be shot down here, um, but maybe it was more a group of soloists that could sing together back then. Um, and it's more a group of ensemble singers now. Yeah. Now Does I, that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's That's actually how I hear it too. And I don't know why anyone would want to shoot you down for that. Uh, <laughs> that just seems <laughs> oh, no, I, I, plain but, to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that that's great. So, you you kind of hinted that you have another group. Uh, do, do you direct other groups? Uh, talk a little bit about those groups. Okay, so um, I don't direct any group. I have been programming for an ensemble that I founded in two thousand and four. I co-founded. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned to you, I studied German at university. So part of my degree was to go to a German-speaking country for a year. And I taught English in Vienna, in Austria. Uh, and at one of the schools, it was a uh, music-based uh, high school. And I met Terry Way, counter-tenor. You know, I was 21, he was 17, I think. Um, and uh, and his mate, Jakob, who was also Jakob Puckmann, also counter-tenor. 
Um, and they had mentioned to me, we, for whatever reason, I have no idea. Um, Terry was bilingual, so he'd always used to mess around in the classes I was teaching. Um, so he kind of caught my attention. And, uh, and I'd heard that he was a top singer, but he, um, he just had mentioned to me that, uh, that he was doing some Josquin mass. And I was like, whoa, what? You're doing a Josquin mass? He said, uh, yeah, this is Vienna. You know, I mean, this is, this is the heart of Mozart, Schubert, Liszt, Brahms. You know, um, they're not so interested in Josquin. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and, uh, and so he had a little group going, well, not a little group even, it was just ad hoc. He, he just got four singers together to, uh, to do a Josquin mass. And, uh, and he was like, what is this music, man? I mean, this is insane. I've never really done any of this before. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to come back after my studies. Um, and I'm going to move to Vienna and I'd like to set something up. Um, how about it? And he said, yeah, get in touch. So that was 2002, three, and then 2004, I moved there permanently and set it up. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, I mean, it was my um, plan. I was like, well, how do we, um, how do we try and stick out from the main stream here? Um, you know, we, we wanted to go pro, but we didn't know if we, 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 we were good enough. Number one, we made a demo CD with a variety of different things, but I was like, we kind of need an, we kind of like need a need a focus. So I, I was like, which uh, who were the composers in Vienna in the Renaissance in the, in the Renaissance time? You know, in the 16th century. Um, and all right, I mean, you might you probably heard of Philip de Monte. Of course, I mean he he's 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 done some good stuff. Um, and uh, most people know de Monte because it, he wrote the first part to Bird's Quomodo Answer, Superflumina mm -hmm. Venice. Um, yeah, so I was like, there's Demonte, but okay, that's one guy. I mean, who else is there? And there, I mean, there's just, there's like, oh my goodness me, there's at least 30, 40, 50 composers in there that no one had ever looked at before. So I was like, hey, well, let's do that. Um, and yeah, I was just, I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time with my, with the demo CD of, of, of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, we called, we called Cinquecento, uh, we're named after a model of Fiat car. Uh, no, we're not. Um, <laughs> is the Italian <laughs> is the Italian for the uh, 16th century. The years 500, they leave the thousand off. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and um, met uh, a guy who was interested in demo CD. Uh, he happened to be uh, working for a label called Hyperion Records uh, in London. And uh, about a week later, I got an email from him saying, "Look, me and the boss." Uh, would like to meet in London uh, to talk about um, you guys making records with us. Wow. So that was it. And we've done, is it 16 now, maybe? I think the 16th is coming out in May. Say the name yeah. of your group again. I'll make sure to put a link of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, are called, we are called Ensemble Cinquecento. So the Italian for 500. Great. Cinquecento. Is that the um, only group you, so you say you program for it, so you're not um, I have, I've done, I've done a lot. I mean, at the beginning, I did a lot. And as the guys, um, as we all sort of developed as, a, as an ensemble, um, they, uh, that we'd all go away and like get other, other ideas and bring them into the, into the group. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I was certainly the one with, with the majority of well with the most sort of knowledge of the repertoire so i think that's how it started like that but as we uh, went on um it became clear that you know we were all sort of uh, falling down rabbit holes in libraries and you know finding finding new stuff we wanted to do and 
Um, and yeah, so we are we are a, a very much a democracy. I mean, that's not too tough with five of us. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, we don't gig that much. I mean, we'd love to. We've we've had, I've you know, I, I'd love to to bring the group over here. We've been over once for Kathy Fay at Boston Early Music, um, and we've been to Canada um, as well. But um, you know, I'd, I'd love to to bring the, uh, the the group over to the US at some point. Um, but you know, the problem is is that. Uh, a lot of the guys are quite busy. Terry has um, has a pretty big baroque opera career. Um, uh, Torre, uh, the tenor, um, he one of the tenors. He has uh, another group that he's running right now and, and, is, and is going places. So you know, we all have our our little things going on. And uh, uh, you know, we're not twenty one year old kids anymore when we just where we just like hang out the whole time and and sing this music for fun and hope that one day we'd be able to do it professionally. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Oh. But I know, man. I know. I mean, that is that is that is that is part of your story as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That when you're in your twenties, it it just seems like you have a lot more time than one does now, especially as they add on responsibilities. But oh yeah. <laughs> so Tim, tell tell us what your hookup with the Talus Scholars was. What was your what was your oh. way in? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, as you know, Talis Scholars is not auditioned. Um, you know, I, if I could, if I could count, I, you know, I, I could not count on the fingers of both my hands uh, the number of singers that have sort of come up to to us after shows and said, "Have you auditioned for these guys?" You know, yeah. <laughs> um, the answer is you don't. You know, um, it, I think I think simply what happens is is that the regular members of the group they have a. a good feeling for who would be suitable but of course you have to sing with those people so i would never ever recommend anyone for the talent scholars who i hadn't sung with you know i mean that wouldn't make any sense because hearing somebody is is different yeah you can hear somebody and go yeah i'd make that recommendation but to really feel if it's it's going to fit you need to sing with them um so my in with the group was um i was doing a recording project i think in oxford with another group that i sing for uh, called Alamiri, directed by David Skinner. You know those guys, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and we just had this this project in Oxford in 2007. And uh, uh, my bass partner, um, desk partner, was Rob McDonald. Um, and uh, so he and I had been singing on this project. We'd sung together. We'd made a couple of records with Alamiri before that. So we knew each other pretty well. Anyway, it turned out that um, at the same time, so we were doing sessions in the day, and in the evenings, Rob was like scampering off to Merton College to go and record with Talis Clubs. Um, and I think it was the second day that he was doing that that I got a phone call from him in, at lunchtime going, hey, man, uh, the baritone Don has, has uh, come down with, uh, with the flu or something. He was sick, you know, um, and you're in Oxford. Um, and I said to Peter that, you know, you'd be around um, and that you'd probably fit all right. So uh, how about it? Um, you know, I planned to go out for dinner and drinks with friends I hadn't seen for a while. And I was like, oh, no, I wasn't. I was like, um, OK, yeah, I'll come, and, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come and do that. All right. Um, I mean, I was, yeah, of course, I was I was super nervous about it. Um, well, especially given the fact that, you know, I, I walked into Merton Chapel I met Peter, I shook his hand, um, he handed me a copy of Josquin's Miss Fortuna Desperata, um, 
And after about five minutes, the red light went on and we just started recording. You know, there was no rehearsal. That was it. He'd never heard me sing before. And so, you know, he has a lot of trust and faith in, um, I think, in the regular singers of the ensemble to bring people in that would work, you know, um, to an extent. And I am forever indebted to Robbie, of course, for, for his introduction. Um, and he knows that. I've bought him enough beers. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. But again, I mean, it was right place, right time kind of thing, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I... So David Skinner, who runs Alamiri, he was at Magdalen College at the time that I was coming out of Christchurch. He needed a baritone to bolster a tour for an amateur choir that he was taking on tour to Belgium for a couple of shows. I turned, I turned up and did that. He thought... That what I did was really good, and he was setting up Alamire, and he wanted a baritone to go with Stephen Harold on tenor and Robbie on bass, and uh, yeah, and so that's how I fell in with that. That I crowd. think I think it's worth highlighting the point, um, the audition point, that there aren't formal auditions, or or very rarely they are. There are. Uh, I get that too. Um, a lot of people emailing in and asking for an audition and there's just no time for uh, it's and it's it's time consuming the only way to properly do one um is to get the other singers in there too and kind of hear what they're like in the line um so yeah by recommendation for me has worked the best yeah, yeah no full on i mean um i can i can give you a i can give you a comparative example which is um the group that i first started working for professionally i went on audition for um and i went on audition for twice i was 21 when i auditioned the first time i was 24 when i auditioned the second um and um i got the i i got invited to work with the group after the second audition and that is a group in belgium called the huelgas ensemble h-u-e-l-g-a oh, yeah, yeah. directed by a guy called paul van navel um and um yeah, and his audition process, wow. I mean, um, it is, you know, if, if if I were ever to audition, uh, uh, you know, set up my own group and, and audition, then then I would certainly be taking elements of what he does. I mean, he's, um, he, how do I describe Paul Van Nabel? Um He's a very difficult man to describe. Um, eclectic, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a good word. Um, um, and um, but he knows what he wants, you know. So his the audition starts off um, because the group performs quite a lot of chansons and madrigals and that kind of thing. The audition will start off with you reading medieval Italian and medieval French poetry. Wow. He will give you the poetry and he will he will read the the, the, the verses to you, um, and you are you have to read them back to him. Um, and that is just simple, simply how quick you assimilate. You know how how a if you've had, ever had any training in it, and b how quickly you can assimilate and uh, and and learn that that poetry. Um, he'll give you a couple of cracks of the whip at that, um, and then uh, then he will ask you to intone a line each line of verse that he's given you um, in an ascending hexachord scale, and then in a descending hexachord scale. Wow. Uh, and uh, then he'll do a bit of range testing, you know, how high up can you go, how low can you go. Um, then he'll put an A tuning fork down and he'll go, I want you to sing this A for as long as you can. And then within a couple of seconds, sing a low B flat for as long as you can and then sing the A again. <laughs> um, 
and then he does the same with uh, a high B flat, A high B flat, uh, A. And at the end of each time, we'll just put the A tuning, A442 tuning chord down and just see where you are, you know, see how, how, how it fits. Um, then there's sight reading. And, uh, and that's it. That's, that's just, that's obscene. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is like Navy SEAL, you know, and then training you for war. <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? Isn't it? That, I mean, it that, I'm impressed, though. That's a very thorough. It, that's the most thorough audition I've ever heard. It's pretty hardcore because a lot of guys come into that audition process and they go, they go, um, okay, so I, I I didn't need to bring any prepared pieces. There isn't an accompanist here. I mean, what what is going on? You know. Um, so yeah, but that was that was that was my introduction to that. So that is a group that does audition, and he he auditions every year. Um, and I mean, I think out of 15 applicants that he, or 15 shortlisted candidates that he had last month or a couple months back, um, he has booked maybe two of them mm-hmm. to do a couple of But, you know, he's quite old now and he's, he's not winding things down, but, um, he, you know, the group has maybe, I don't know, at, at the maximum, like 20 gigs a year. It's, it's not, it's not much, you know, yeah. um, um, so it has dialed down from what it was, and whether that's him dialing things down, whether that's yet another symptom of of, of the industry, what's happened to the industry, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. How quickly a singer can fit in, I think, is an understated value, especially in a, an ensemble of you know ten or so. I, I I'm remembering immediately. Uh, over the summer when we had you and Patrick and Caroline uh, um, and uh, Stephen singing singing with us for that concert, we had maybe an hour and a half of rehearsal singing music we've all learned and uh, have performed many times uh, with our own separate groups. And I, I, it was remarkable how quickly everyone was sort of fitting in together. It was. Uh, I said this on a post, but it was like a, like some sort of self-improving AI or something. It was, <laughs> it was <laughs> remarkable. And and it's not like we talked about it. You, you know, this stuff happens no. inside your brains, and yeah. uh, that is uh, an understated value or importance of ensemble singing. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when people ask me what is it you know what is it to be an ensemble singer it's a very difficult art to teach um i would argue that it is an art that you have to experience again and again and again you have to be in groups and you you have to work your way through different groups and the more different ensembles you can work with the better your experience is going to be um but the one thing that i always answer is i don't know if it's um sort of um, I, I don't know if it's if it's any good, but my answer is always ensemble singing is more about listening than it is about singing. Um, the singing, yes, of course, you are singing. So it, 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 that, that's, that's, that's absolutely key, no question. Um, but your ability to to listen and just just tune in to everything else that's going on around you um, is is key. Yeah, it's so simple, isn't it? But I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's simple but these simple core concepts are are quite hard to master at a high level actually Um, yeah Yeah. so uh, i I just want to pivot to touring life uh, with talus scholars 
I recently with the Bird Ensemble went to uh, we did a you know four day tour or something in Alabama. I and saw I saw some pictures on Facebook, man. You were in you were in the Hampton Inns and Suites in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, you've been in there. Yeah, we've been in there with Tascos, and you sang, I guess, for Fred Tiotto. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guys. Got got hooked up with those guys over there. It was a great experience. We we ate too much Waffle House. We have a shout out oh. to my to my man uh, Sam there, who is obsessed, and uh, every. Ah. Emoji reaction on our WhatsApp group is yep. a waffle because that's what he wants. Wants, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we went on this four-day tour, and I'm just at the end of it tired. Like I don't. It's yeah. like I can't imagine doing this much longer. And you touring at the Talos Scholars, you you guys do a lot of concerts a year. How many concerts? Mm-hmm. I think this year it's like 80, 83 or something. It has been in our anniversary year in 2013. It was 99. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, we do a lot of shows a year. We do. Um, And I guess, I mean, I think think in terms of like the... um, the United States touring, you know, those are some of the... those are some of the most intense tours that we do. Um, You know, we have just come... Uh, off the back of four gig, four gig travel days in a row. Um, so um, we had a relatively easy start to the tour, um, where we had a gig day the first day, then a travel day, then a, another another show the next day. Um, but yeah, and then so we had we had Boston, we had New York, we had Athens, Georgia, and Spartanburg, South Carolina. They were all four of those were in a row. So that was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, you um yeah i mean and and also in the winter tours you know people are gonna be carrying maybe a little cold with them or whatever and um it doesn't make life easy but you you find a way of dealing with it you know um and and if singers don't then there have been occasions where singers have dropped out we have stood nine singers on the stage and we've just coxed and boxed and done it you know um that's that's all you can do um but I think um, I think we have said to the management that any more than four in a row is too much. I think we've said that. Maybe five. I, I can't quite remember. Um, mm-hmm. um, if my colleagues see this, they will they will no doubt correct me there. But um, I, yeah, we certainly felt relief after the Spartanburg show. Um, and the Spartanburg show was was quite a, a dry acoustic, and it's gig four, and you're like, oh, come on, give me a supportive building as well, please. <laughs> um, but um, but it was it was cool, and, and and that's a really sweet little program there. And and Aaron Harp, who uh, sorry, I'm only talking about this because it's the last thing we did, so I remember. Um, but um, he um, he's he's such a sweet guy, and um, and and we were very happy to go there. And, and sing sing for those guys but um as we are for anywhere we go in the states everyone is just so nice to us and that is that's that's what what keeps us going as well you know if we have happy audiences then um you do even if it is gig four at the end of of of, of, of a four gig run um you go yeah this is why i'm doing it um, so how, how do you keep that that sort of fire alive you know for each show i know on some level it's a job and maybe that sense of duty is what 
you really need to tap into to sustain a tour of the same program or similar programs. You know, how yeah. do you do it? Uh, I mean, well, have you thought about how to how to conjure up that passion when needed? Yeah, I mean, there there are there are many levels um, to it. Uh, well, there are several levels levels to it. Um, one is, you know, it, 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 the beginning of a tour, we will have rehearsed the program in three hours, and then we go out on the road and we do the show. So the first couple of gigs, um, we know the music, and we are starting to develop. Um, uh, sort of our favorite moments in the pieces kind of thing, you know, um, each individual, you know, that's what, what I mean. And and so I think as the tour goes on, you know, for example, I don't know, uh, in, in, in the show in Athens two days ago, um, I started, I just noticed a line that my colleague, tenor colleague Tom was doing. And I just came off stage at half time. I was like, hey man, I just, how did I never hear that bar before? That is... <laughs> That is cool, man. What you're doing there, you know, and that, so that kind of thing. So, you know, as the tour goes on, you, it, it kind of shifts a little bit and changes um, to keep the passion and the fire there. I mean, certainly on. So yesterday was, or no, the day before yesterday was gig five of the seven concerts that we're doing. Um, you know, at that stage, it's also about vocal health. It's just making sure that you're doing everything correctly. And if you are slightly under the weather, which a couple of us invariably are, um, you know, I've been, I was fighting off a cold at the beginning of the tour. Um, I sort of touch wood, I, 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 I defeated it. Um, but you know, that is a worrying element, you know, mm -hmm. because you don't want to be singing on anything. Um, so, I mean, people's concentrations, uh, people's sort of focuses, they will shift differently over a tour, mm -hmm. um, depending on how fit they're feeling and how vocally fit they're feeling. Um, then there's just fatigue, you know, and, and fatigue is, is, is just completely common. Um, but I think, I think that's what drop keeps us going. You know, it's just this kind of, it's this team sport and we're there for the team, you know, and this team sport is, um, is delivering to audiences, um, and, um, enjoying the music that we're doing, even though, you know, we can be under significant strain, as I say, you know, do four doing four travel day shows in a row. That's, um, yeah, I mean, that, that can be tough, you, but this, we got through it. You said a, a few minutes ago, hearing, what is it, your, your, your partner hearing a bar that he hadn't heard before yeah. or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That touches on, uh, something I really love that happens during tour is you hear the music kind of evolve in a way yeah. you, you hear it differently, the more you do it. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's really best achieved through performances. Um, no matter, I know you can rehearse things to death and uh, maybe you can start feeling some of these things, but so there's something special about and unique about concerts that kind of bring that kind of change in the music. 100%, 100%. And that is that, I mean, that's essentially um, what, 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 what I was saying as well, I guess, um, is, is that, yeah, it is, it is evolving. And each audience that we perform to on a tour in the United States will have a slightly different version of it, you know, mm -hmm. um, not out of anything other than um, the way that 
the way that you maybe approach a line, having done it the night before one way, you're going to do it a slightly different way the, the, the next night. I mean, in terms of tuning, you're always going to have to um, you're always going to have to nail that. So that that is a major consideration, of course. Um, in fact, my top consideration. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. It evolves, um, mm -hmm. and it always will evolve, and it is only something that can happen in concerts. Um, I mean, rehearsals are great, but. Uh, you just have to feel that together. You know, you, you don't want somebody, um, you know, Peter would never want to sort of read the riot act to us as to, to, to whether it's, whether it has to be exactly that or exactly that, exactly that, um, over six or nine hours of rehearsal, you know, as we go through a tour, we will reduce our, um, rehearsal time before a gig, you know, simply because, well, we know the program really well. And, um, yes, there'll be little things to be picked up on, um, from the, from the show the night before. Um, but I always find that a, a little bit weird as well because, you know, every night something's going to happen. So what you can rehearse what went, maybe what could have gone slightly better the night before, but we know that it didn't go that well the night before. So we're definitely going to be concentrated on the fact that that's going to be good. Um, so do you know what I mean? It's, it's a funny one, yeah. isn't it? But um, but you're right. I mean, it evolves and, and each performance is slightly, it's going to be slightly different, but in a good way. Yeah, keeps things uh, exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, um, with the few minutes we have left here, the state yeah. of ensemble singing in the UK. So sure. us over here uh, in the US of A, uh, think of England, or uh, think of the UK as the uh, like a factory of high quality uh choral singers um okay how is it going over there are are singers um is there a lot of work for singers um and for which groups and yeah. how are they funded and how much yeah. money do professional uh choral singers get over there right okay well <clears throat> i mean it's time to spill the I, tea i can spill i can spill a little bit of tea um or beans <laughs> um yeah sure so you know i work with the tower scholars um i work with alan Mire. um i have in the past worked with eric Whitaker's group um his eric Whitaker singers um but that was that was a while ago um but of course i have a lot of friends um not least my brother um who is also a professional ensemble bass um who sings at windsor castle uh the chapel there so i know a lot of people that work in that business um I would say that the, you know, if you're looking at cathedral music, uh, cathedral choirs, um, that that is, you know, that certainly in the major institutions, um, life is pretty good. Life is okay. Um, you know, there is definitely been a dip in the number of boys interested in becoming trebles. Um, you know, the, the, the auditions in certain areas of the UK um, do not attract as many as they once did. Um, I think with, um, you know, you're right. I mean, there is, there, it, it isn't, yeah, there are a lot of groups now, you know, and that, that is different from when I, um, started out and, and maybe in, in the nineties, you know, there, there were, there were some good, there was some exactly right. Um, but it's kind of exploded, you know, and I think, I think, um, well, from what I hear, um, the workload is going down. And the number of singers wanting work is going up. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that so, too. 
Yeah. So there is, you know, the industry is 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 is, is shifting and changing. Um, it is wonderful to have all of these youth sort of choir programs. So um, there's the choir Tenebrae, um, mm-hmm. who are doing uh, doing very well. A great, fantastic group, um, and 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 rightly popular. Um, and they have a they have like a young singers program. The Sixteen, uh, another of the top groups. Um, they also have a young singers program. Um, and then you have a lot of other groups out there that do a lot of educational work, you know, groups like Steely Antico or Voxos 8, for example. Um, so there is this huge, there is this huge focus on, on enthusing and, and getting young singers um, interested and in, into the business, um, which is wonderful. Um, but I just wonder, from what I've heard, um, <laughs> That if there's enough work for all of these singers um, when they when they're kind of done, um, and I think the answer at the moment is is probably no, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is which is sad, you know, which which um, you know we maybe we need to work out ways of of, of changing that, um, but you know each group each group will go through a, um, a good year and a, and, a, and a bad year in terms of. The amount of work that they're getting you know it, it does go up and down um i mean the time to start worrying of course is when you see over a three or four year stretch that you know it's not really going up you know or, or it is going down um i don't know the figures for that but um yeah how yeah. meaningful um the money is to the singers it has some interesting like implications on the sort of contracting and uh, dynamics uh, between yeah. directors and singers like yeah. If it's not paying enough, then only the kind of financially well-off can kind of engage or uh, sing yeah. um, in these groups. And also, maybe for them, since it's not their, it's not paying the mortgage, they can kind of choose what sort of experiences they can favor. They can favor better choral experiences yeah. over others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think more than more than ever. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of singers on the ensemble circuit in in the UK that I, I have uh, been lucky enough to work with um, do teach or do have um, mm. permanent positions at one of the top cathedrals in London, um, or do have have another string to their bow. You know, um, in terms of income, um, and I am currently in a position where I am uh, trying to up my. Uh, teaching game i'm trying to up i also i work as a um i work as a voiceover speaker i don't know if you knew Mm, that i didn't um and um and so i'm trying to i'm trying to sort of push my focus a little bit more on that as well um just things that can um you know supplement the income that i have from 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 the singing stuff you know um because there are months now where it is surprisingly little going on you know, um, and I'd say that, you know, me and some of my colleagues in Talis Scholars are some of the more active guys on the professional circuit. Um, but, you know, even even for us, you know, uh, it's, you know, we are we are noticing that work is is dipping um, a little bit. Um, and obviously, the cost of living is going up. Um, I just had a I just had a, an email from my landlord this morning. Um, which I was not terribly happy about. He's hiking my rent by a hundred euros a month. 
Uh, What's his name? I'm just kidding. I know, man. I know. I'm kidding. It's fine. I just, I just need to give, give a, give a couple more singing lessons a month, and, and we're good, you know. But, um, but still, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it's not getting any easier, you know, with a little bit of work dipping and the cost of living going up, you know. It, but everyone's feeling that, you know. I mean, it's not just us. Um, it's a global global thing you know yeah i think things have just changed so much since since even since the 90s i mean the the idea that a choral director can just make a living just choral directing is is crazy to me i mean yeah um you gotta know how to you know do marketing admin media you gotta know how to work with video and audio um, you kind of just got to do a bunch of stuff and throw it at the wall and see what yeah. sticks. I mean, my, you, my... You, you do it, you do it, man. Sorry. You do it in, incredibly well. It's a very impressive what you do. Um, I'd just like to tell you that, um, um, because you are, you are the next generation of, well, you are, um, accessing we're the, the same next... generation. <laughs> I know we're the same generation, but, but we're kind of not in a way I I'm, oh. I'm kind of like left behind with the, Oh, how does this technological thing work? <laughs> and you're like grabbing the ball by the horns and going, Hey man, guys, it's like this. And we're going to do this and blah, blah. And, um, with, with, with filming and video shoots and stuff. And, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, I admire you for that, man. Congratulations. Well, th- th- thanks Tim. I mean, my big secret is that all of this, there's a big marketing cost for what I do with Scribe and that audio and video stuff is really uh, picked up and enabled me to do, to do more music actually. So it's, I've sort of made a weird life for myself. Um, Tim, we can talk for, I feel like we could go for so long. Um, (laughs) but, uh, maybe we'll have to do that in person in the future, hopefully someday. But, uh, I I just want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your, your story you are, and your views you are, with us. Yeah. You are welcome. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, man, I wish you um, all the very best. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we will be able to meet up at some point on a on a States trip or uh, when you're in Europe next. Yeah, and tell us how people can follow you, follow you, what you're up to. You you, uh, you don't have an Instagram, but you have a Facebook. Do you have a I website? Do. I'm, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. It's just my name, Tim Scott Whiteley. I'm on there. Um, and uh, Cinquecento is also on Facebook. Talis Scholars is on Facebook and Insta, I think. Um, and so you can you can follow any of that uh, there, um, and the websites obviously as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, maybe I need to join the 21st century and uh, and get on Insta. Mm, I don't know about that. We can talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, thank you so much for your time. Absolute and good luck with pleasure. the rest of the tour. Thank you, mate. Fantastic. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.